This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello again and welcome back to Shake Them Ropes. My name is Chris Novembrino. I am joined by my traveling co-host, traveling all across the country this week, Jeff Hawkins. Are your arms tired yet? Oh, nailed it. <laughs> no, but I am I am deeply, deeply exhausted. And <laughs> it's going to be, uh, oh my goodness, Chris. I got into Charlotte at about midnight Eastern, or I got to my hotel about midnight Eastern. Got to wake up the next day for the first day of work. I get to the hotel. We don't have your reservation on file, Mr. Hawkins. Well, I have this reser- I have this confirmation number from my job. Yeah, it doesn't work. So I have to spend the next 45 minutes calling London through by way of Chicago because that's where the travel agency that they used was. Waiting on hold for 20 minutes to hear this. Yeah, it says here on the reservation, no hotel necessary. And I just went, oh, God. <laughs> Everything was going so well, too. So how was the first night uh, in your No, car? I put it on my credit card, um, and they will be expense reporting me back, hopefully, if it all goes well. <laughs> we, we can never tell that. But at the same time, it's like, and then the next morning, it's like, the uh, the office space we had rented was like uh, half a mile away, and they go, "Oh, it's just a, it's just about a ten minute walk from the hotel." Just one problem, Chris. There are no sidewalks on these roads they want me to walk on <laughs> because these plans. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the, and that makes a huge because these, these difference. plans were made yeah. from Chicago, where they don't know the terrain. So I, my first day, walked down a. a a route or an, it wasn't an interstate quite, but it was close, you know, in the East and the South, they have those, they have those roads where they go long stretches without stoplights. But uh, yeah, I did. And then everybody goes, why didn't you just Uber it? It's like, cause I was told I could walk there and I didn't know if I could get an Uber there, but uh, it all got worked out. Did my training, waking up at 4am every day, caught up on my wrestling. I am ready to go, sir. How was your week? My week was pretty good. My week was pretty good. Uh, uh, not a ton to report here. There will be just an unbelievable amount of don't worry about the government's coming out here the next week. So for those of you interested in that, check that out over at don'tworry.tv. And that has sucked up a good chunk of my weekend here. I've got like four and a half hours. Like three different people have come on. We're doing a big end of the year sort of thing. So that, that's been fun. And then this week, like, there was... Especially since I no longer really think about Raw and SmackDown in an active sense, and I tend to forget about them immediately after watching them uh, until I bring up the notes here to talk about them again. Like, I really enjoyed NXT this week. That was a joy. I found myself craving more wrestling 
at the end of watching NXT this Wednesday. And that prompted me to go and seek out AEW and go and catch AEW because I was still jonesing for more grabs. I have not had that experience in, oh golly, a, a mm. year at least. That's uh, No, that's interesting. Uh, okay, well, let's get into it. AEW and NXT tied with 778,000 viewers according to Nielsen ratings. Um, This is the cut... Yeah, I'm going apparently in the opposite direction of the numbers. This is the tie you don't want. This is a tie where everybody has their camp and nobody in the audience isn't growing. It's just you have your niche audience and it's going to be about even for both to see which one gets most juice live. So you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of like hotshot booking here and there to get people to try and turn the channel to try and quote unquote win this thing. It's, it's, It's a positive, but it's a negative at the same time. I just think that the turn the channel impulse is less strong now than it once was. Because back in the day, and this has been my medium argument, back in the day it was all my cable package. Now it is literally me changing, dare I say it, the streams every week. And what am I watching right now? And so it's not just a flip of the channel for me, for the Nielsen ratings for sure. But for the average viewer, they're going to watch one. And even if you've got a cable box, you're going to DVR the other one, and you're going to watch that one afterwards. Unless it gets really boring, and then you might start running the DVR on both of them and kind of ping and pong back and forth. I just think AEW has a real problem in that they've been trying to hit home runs when singles will do. They want these great matches, and they think that's what's going to build their audience. And you know what? Squash matches in a TV main event, I think, would just serve them well. I think they're killing their women's division with these long matches. With I mean, like Emmy Sakura is a problem because she wants the audience behind her, but she's acting it's like a heel. It's the most confusing intro. It really it's so confusing. is, <laughs> and it's it's the women's division there is in, in a bit of trouble. I think I know a lot of people like Chris Statlander. I'm. I'm amused. I just I just think it's a little bit too high comedy with the alien gimmick for me personally when you're trying to establish this as a little bit more serious than uh than the competitor and NXT is kind of going all serious in their women's division as opposed to wacky characters and stuff. Yeah, there's, yeah, like there's no, no camp. camp there. Shayna Baszler's working on like Mustangs and stuff and being just a badass champion in any era. Mia Yim and uh and Dakota Kai are killing each other in the ring. I mean, it, it, it's a lot less campy than than AEW. And then, you know, you get these things where you're introing characters that nobody knows yet, as opposed to promoing them and then introing them like the uh, the butcher and the blade. And God bless him, I loved the butcher's look, but he looked like he had two left feet in there at times. Um, yeah, I mean, AEW to me is is quote unquote more wrestling. And I and it doesn't have that oomph. I like the promos a hell of a lot better in there, but there aren't enough of them to keep my attention. Yeah, the disconnect for me is the logic of better wrestling equals a better show. And I definitely think for the formula for a good wrestling show, you've got to have some good wrestling in there. Like, that, that logically follows. But I think 
the issue here is just overwhelming the stew with too much of one spice. It's all about long, good, technically sound matches. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the Emmy Sakura versus Swole match, and I thought that that served a purpose. Uh, the problem is, is that was the second or third very long match, and it kind of dragged down the pacing of the show, where I think having more storylines and stuff, the Dark Order is not my favorite cup of tea, but sprinkle in some more of those Dark Order skits throughout the entirety of the episode, even if the Dark Order's never going to appear on the screen that episode. Actually, I'd argue, especially if there's not going to be a reveal, so that you have yet another kind of backstage storyline pulling this show along, so that it has more of that show component. I like that they brought in a group like the Beaver Boys, because I thought they were gone from AEW to be involved in this I like Dark that Order as well. I think they're really no, good. No, I thought that was strong. I, I did like that. Yeah, I just, for me, I, I want good wrestling on my TV shows, and then I want the great matches to be on the big cards. You know, I, I want that, you know, I don't mind a TV main event with really good wrestling that ends in a screw job, and you're going to then get, then you're going to continue to build this so that the blow-off is at the big event. I think they're doing the opposite. I think they're doing all these big-time blow-off matches here at times, to then try and build two quote unquote bigger matches on your pay-per-view cards. And I don't think they're getting there. I don't think they've planned that arc out quite as well as they, they'd like, because what you're doing is you're getting these, I mean, you're getting these things like Phoenix and, uh, and Trent, and you're getting great matches with like Moxley and Darby Allen. That was or, a good or, match. You know, that was what, a very whatever, good match. Whatever you want, but it's, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, now we have to rebuild Darby and now we have to find a way to heighten Moxley, and you've kind of done that with Jericho, but it's... Everything can't move through Jericho either, though. Like, he's not a long-term solution for this company as they're trying to build brands. Yeah, I, I think they're just trying to, to to have the big water cooler talk right out of the gate, and even Nitro didn't have that when they started. So it's it's kind of a, a you know... Lower lower your expectations a bit, and then maybe go from there. That that's my only issue. But uh, yeah, we got a tie, so uh, I don't know if that means AEW is going down and NXT is going up simultaneously. And now we're just holding. Is the overall where... number just down? Yes. Yeah, like that to me is the real story. I, I, everyone's worried about the demo. I've, of course, made fun of this mercilessly on the show, and we'll continue to, because the only number that I think matters is the overall number. Are we actually growing out the wrestling community? And the answer continues to be a resounding no. And if anything, it's kind of been a sort of polarizing experience. Yeah, we're not we're not expanding the pie. We're not building TV stars. We're not having people go, did you hear what so-and-so said last night? We're kind of we're playing to our audience, which are wrestling fans, who will then go on, you know, Reddit or the Figure Four board or where, or something awful and those other forums, and then uh, talk about how great the match was. But you're not getting, you're not getting the guy who wants to, you know, the average uh, Joe doesn't go yeah. on Squared Circle. Yeah, exactly. and the average Joe sure as hell ain't signing up for the F4W board. No, <laughs> nor should they. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we go there. Uh, WWE released some talent. There's some rumors that there will be more coming. I hate that they do this at the end of the year. I really do. Cause it's been, they've done this before at the end of the year. I can't remember who it was at that time. Merry just... Christmas. You ain't got a job next year. Exactly. Uh, Luke Harper, the Ascension and Sin Cara. 
I think Luke Harper's ticket was written, and I think we talked oh, about yeah. it here. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it was you and I or if it was Rob and I, but that time they asked him to do a promo in a Southern accent, and he couldn't do a Southern accent that's because he's right. from Rochester, he's from New, Rochester New, York. New York. That's right. Yeah. So I think that's what really punched his ticket in addition to just getting injured. And then they'd bring him back for money in the bank where he'd get killed again because they always do that to their injured talent for some reason. Uh, But he's going to be the guy who's just fine. I'm not worried about him. He's going to have an offer from Ring of Honor or TNA or AEW. AEW could totally use him. He'd be awesome. He Well, he's kind of in that Sean Spears repackaging lane though that's the only thing i would think was yeah, wrong but, he, but the dude basically looks like bruiser brody this yeah. is a classic look that will be just fine if you pair him up with john moxley and moxley and brody lee get to be weird together that's that's money i'm into that i i think uh i think a lot of where he goes is going to depend on where marty Skrull goes marty Skrull kind of hinting that uh posting a picture of him and harper uh i think they are going to be uh, buddy, buddy, and villain enterprises wherever Luke Harper lands. Uh, Sin Cara, I think, is going to be fine. He's going to have options. He is legit tough. He is legit good. They did that stupid two-week program with the Luchadora, who I have no idea who that was. They never gave her an intro, and they lost both times to to uh, Andrade, which was just ridiculous. Um you know, he, he's a guy who punched out Albert. Or he, yeah, he no, he's a legitimately backstage. tough yeah, no, dude. Yeah. No. Didn't he also punch out Swagger? Uh, I don't know. If, no, I don't think it was Swagger. But, uh, you know, he could end up in the Gorillas of Destiny. He could end up in uh, CMLL or AAA. He's going to be, he's going to have options. The guy I feel bad for is Victor of the Ascension. I love Rick Victor. He is legit funny. It is my favorite episode of Up, Up, Down, Down. Just this dark, uh, swear word filled sense of humor that just cracked me up when I watched it. They tried to give his tag team partner Connor that three week singles push, but he just kept on having bad matches with a, with good people. But this is a guy who could talk. This is a guy who could be packaged as a manager if they cared about those things. That's the guy I want to see land on his feet as Victor of the Ascension. Yeah, no, he'd be a great manager because he can talk. He He's actually a solid hand in the ring. But to that point, yeah, he doesn't have like the ring appeal. Totally perfect as a manager who can take a bump, though. And if you can talk and you can take a bump, there's a place for you. I, I like Rick Victor. I, I do think he's gotten... Short shrift. Connor, on the other hand, I think got a really, really nice run out of his time at World Wrestling Entertainment, <laughs> and he has nothing to complain about. And I will always root for the man with the widow's peak. Those of us who have dealt with receding hairlines know the struggle. God bless you, Rick Victor. <laughs> yeah, a um, couple of wellness failures also coming at year's end. Which yeah, is yeah, always well, and held for months on end as well. Probably, I. I mean, my well, wasn't one, wasn't the Sin Cara one held for a very long time? I don't. I. I didn't read that far. I was yeah. On there the was there was one so that was like a drug test from way earlier in the year. Now being revealed, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, Bobby Roode, Robert Roode, and Primo Cologne getting dinged. Um, oh, Primo, right? that's the one. Um. There were people back in the day a few years ago that looked to be more suspicious than other people. And then they dinged Ricardo Rodriguez 
for ephedrine, which is in antihistamines, but it's also in some of these. Uh, look, here's here's your don't do this at home, kids. Tip of the day: if you remember the the drug ephedra, all that yeah, is yeah, right is, in the nineties. All that is is two primatine mist tablets and a caffeine tablet. That's all it is. Um, but it's also it's also you know you'll find traces of it in over the counter supplements that you find at GNC and things like that. And they had told him to lose weight. And then they busted him for ephedrine when all these other bodybuilder type guys were around. And you're like, really? That's the kid you're going to pick on? To me, it always seems more of a control contract type thing. Yeah, that was about cutting him down. Or or guys, or guys who, who can we make an example of right now? And it won't hurt anything. Or they'll test people with it. You know, I, I'm not I'm not above thinking that some of these are false positives that they go, OK, how is he going to handle this after this type of thing? I mean, I am very, very skeptical of the WWE's wellness policy, especially given who who never gets busted and who does get busted. Yeah, right. It certainly seems like there's selective enforcement. And you also know with Vince that he has got a fondness for trial by ordeal. Uh, and, and well, this test could be yet another version of do you his. Think, do you think Vince could pass his own wellness policy? Well, it, it depends on the year. <laughs> and no, it is. Uh, so uh, from the main roster, the only note I had on Raw is that this Seth heel turn, t- heel turn is the lamest trope of all the tropes that they use to turn people heel. You didn't believe that I wasn't behind this whole thing. So now I'm going to be behind this whole thing. Yeah, that was that was so weird. Because on one level, it's like they have been teasing and setting the table for Rollins to go heel for a very long time. On the other hand, that backstage beatdown with the authors of pain and Seth Rollins being revealed in the back of the van or whatever. Wearing a was, hood. He's he's a secret power behind he's it He's joined the Sith. He's a Sith Lord now. <laughs> yeah, no, it was yeah, horrible. I, I mean, oh. it could have been utterly coherent, too. That's the worst part. Is like the, It wouldn't have been that hard to tell a very simple story of Rollins aligning himself with the AOP that didn't feel silly. I've always wanted a Kaiser Soze character in wrestling. Just some guy in the background that you don't even notice for a few weeks who's really the puppet master behind all these bad things. And they, they, they're they not good enough to ever pull that kind of story off. They have the template, though. I mean, it's the classic wrestling book. The higher power story could have been that. I mean, sure, sure. I, I mean, well, actually, uh, if you go further back, uh, back here in Texas, um, Cactus Jack, what was he? Yeah. He was involved in, uh, oh, God, what's my local professional wrestling? Is this GWF in the cartel? Yeah, yeah, the of? cartel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was yeah exactly. I was, I was trying to get my brain there. Yeah, the whole cartel angle. I think the trick here is you've got to decide first who the reveal is ultimately going to be. Yes. And, and that's got to be committed to way early on. And, and then, then work backwards. Work backwards. Um, and I think I think it can be done. I Wrestling, booking, it's not like this is a completely different world from booking from the pay-per-view backwards the way Vince used to book from WrestleMania all the way back to SummerSlam. Having those longer arcs. I think you just have to know where the story ends the entire time. That way you can do 
interesting things to throw people off of Seth Rollins' track throughout this. Because you know, the other part of this is it was so obvious that it was going to be Seth Rollins. And Seth Rollins was turning heel and that he wasn't being genuine. That What you need to have is reasonable doubt. You need to have the authors of pain like knock him out of the ring or do some low-level thing of physicality to them. Just enough to make you go, well, maybe... Maybe Seth maybe is, he's right. Maybe yeah, he's on the up and right. up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I remember the Black Scorpion gimmick, and I knew people who like because this is when nobody knew anything. So I had a lot of my friends were like certain that the Ultimate Warrior was going to be the Black Scorpion because oh, it's a former partner from Sting's past. He knows who it is, and all and and and, and they they went through a few different people like Al Perez and the angel of death. And then it was eventually Ric Flair. And you're just like, what? No, that doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> right. No, it's, it, like, it's like the it was, writing has always focused on the cool part of the mystery, but as the opposed thing, to the end, <laughs> right. Which is what makes the whole mystery fun or stupid. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, that uh, for those of you who are writers out there who like writing stories and things like that, you might have a great idea for a story. And this is something that a lot of my sitcom friends and a lot of my screenplay friends have. They have the hook. They have the log line, as they say. If you ever remember the old TV guide or if you go on your TV and look through, when you get a program listing, that one sentence that tells you what the thing is, that's the log line. Everybody has a log line. Few people have an ending to their story. It, it, it happened on Sons of Anarchy where they got through two seasons and they had no idea what to do with any of these characters. I, it's just, yeah, start from the end of your story, always. Yeah, I, I found this lame. SmackDown, on the other hand, I loved that first hour. That first hour was one of the smartest hours of wrestling TV I had watched up until the point where, the, where they brought up that Fire and Desire want to be the face of the women's tag division and they want to be on the programs and the cups. And I hate that. I hate the marketing angle. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I loved everything up until that. You, on the other hand, loved the second hour of SmackDown. I don't know. that I We're- said the second hour ran the gamut for me. The first hour was sort of my regular emotional spectrum watching any of this main roster stuff. I will say that... Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Fire and Desire from the backstage promo all the way to the match actually pleasantly surprised me. I thought like that that whole thing was done well. I liked the backstage promo being interrupted by the heels. I just thought that that was cool. I liked the yeah. revival versus Chad Gable and Mustafa Ali, although it was I mean a bit predictable. I know where we're going in this, but like solid uh, four very solid guys and like I mean who can't enjoy Dash Wilder busting ass on his entrance and then yelling. That was in character. That's that was the part that got me. Is he's yelling at Ali? No, that's part of the character. <laughs> I just every him talking trash on the way down to the rig, like all four guys, you know, corpsing throughout that. Totally fine. I'm fine with them all corpsing during I, that. I I loved the Corbin Kofi interaction where Kofi just slaps him and goes, "Can you hear me?" Now? It felt like this was the serious Kofi I wanted when he held the title. You know that. I mean, well, it was, I thought it was, he should have kept slapping him. To be honest, I, I, especially yeah. given. See, my problem with Kofi stuff is we get to the end of this show and it's a friggin' train wreck. Uh, like, like that that closing segment 
was like toilet bowl awful. So at the open here, I needed Kofi essentially to kind of slap down Corbin. If you're going to have Corbin out there, I hate this Baron Corbin character. And it's not, I hate him as in like he's a heel and boo this heel. It is like this character insults my intelligence because you can do a managerial power tripping character that's so much more interesting than this variation of the character. Corbin is, for his part, performing what he has to work with at peak. It's just, you know, when the ceiling is three stars, yeah, he's getting it to three stars, but it's still a three-star performance. Yeah, um, I liked uh, I liked the Bailey backstage getting interrupted by Elias. Uh, the thing that shocked me a little bit, uh, number one, look, cock-blocking Bailey, awesome. Sure, do that. Uh, Elias's song was a little more... PG 13 slash R rated than, than I thought they'd go on WWE. Yeah. The, the haircut the makes threesome. you look like a man. The threesome with Sasha and Bailey. I was like, excuse me. You, you, you were thinking about having what now on, on this television program. That's on primetime. You were talking about, uh, threesomes. Were you, Hmm. You know, the hair that looks like a dude line. I, you know, you could see that coming. You can, you can see it coming. It's a little cheap. But at the same time, it's just dated. I, I mean, yeah, it's dated. It, 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 it's very old. a woman heat. gets a, hair, a short haircut, like that's, it's not even a clever joke because it's such ba- an old Bailey joke. Bailey was obviously thrown off by a couple of those lines in that song, too. Um, <laughs> watch her try and hide it. But I liked the match with Dana Brooke. I think Dana Brooke is, has improved. It's just nobody gets to notice it. I, I do. I no, I do, really too. I, I She's always had natural physical ability. She's always been in good shape. The promos have always been shaky, and she's always been struggling to find a character and also struggled to find time to really develop out a character. I think they could do more with her. I, I do. I, I think that there's a lot of different types of characters Dana Brooke could play. Um, especially, you know, the insurance policy type character like Camille. Dana Brooke would be awesome at that type of character. But she's also shown that she's got, like, a kind of, like, fun baby face side to her as well. Um, no, I, I, I dig I dig Dana Brooke. <laughs> and as unrepentantly stupid as it was, I liked Heavy Machinery and Sami Zayn. I did. The ham... I think there was another reason why he wasn't eating the ham as well, but it, it was just it, it, to me. It's. Do you think they even considered that uh, component of it when they were writing that? Sk- no, no, th- no. Th- th- I this th- is I, the glaring problem with WWE. It's kind of like yeah. what we get into here at the end of the show as well, where it's like, I don't even think anyone in that meeting was like, hey, bro, now I, I know what you're trying to do with the, the meat thing, but like, let's not do ham. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting save to say I'm a vegan, which he might be. I don't know that for a fact. I, Otis is killing me because I love the guy. I hate the Chris Farley treatment of him, but now it's kind of gone into the. It's kind of gone into the morphing between unrelentingly stupid and creepy pervy type thing. And I don't know if I like it or not. I go between loving it and then going, I'm a little skeeved by it. See, I hate it. Here's what I want. I want Otis to be the awkward Chris Farley type of guy, but the Chris Farley characterization where he's 
in his heart, a nice guy who is trying Chucky! to fit in. But he is Chucky! a weird, overly large man who does not fit into <laughs> anything at all. And that's where the comedy comes from. So what needs to happen with Otis, especially as a babyface character, is people need to come in and be unrepentingly mean to him. And yes. it makes him very angry. And then he kills them in the ring. Because you also yes. need to have a reason to justify unbelievable exhibitions of strength from Otis. So when you emotionally beat up on Otis, he physically murders you. That needs to be the through line with Otis. You can beat up his feelings, but in the ring, he is going to get his feelings revenge. I don't know. This is way before your time. Did you ever see the, uh, the mighty Wilbur in the NWA? No, I didn't. Okay. Here's the story. Paul Jones is the mid-level manager Who's, who ends up managing all the international stars who can't speak English. So he has like the Barbarian. He has, you know, the Warlord, even though he's not foreign. He has Tijo Khan. He has Abdullah the Butcher and stuff. And he's told that he's getting a new guy for his army that sight unseen. It's a guy by the name of the Mighty Wilbur. And the Mighty Wilbur can crush men and stuff like that. And it's this big, giant hillbilly character who's the nicest guy in the world that Paul Jones just can't make to be an evil heel. So all the other heels are just unrepentingly mean to the guy. And then eventually Wilbur turns babyface and kills him to a giant pop. That's all Otis is, except he's on the babyface side. Just have people come in and be mean to him. And then in the ring, have Otis be a big man who does bad things to the guys because they've made him so angry. That's I mean you're 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 dead on here. Yeah, and I think beating heavy machinery after you beat up on heavy machinery's feelings that does damage to the act. I, I think you know if if you kind of go the opposite direction, if you want to avoid if you want to avoid undermining Otis, have him like kind of talk himself into some trouble and they have a match and they lose that match. But but if you're going to make him the emotional victim, he needs to get emotion or he needs to get physical comeuppance. All right, now we get to debate because you and I differ on this Miz segment and this was the crux of your message to me going, I've run the emotional gamut. You I, liked this. I like this. I I thought this was wrestle crap. So really? so it, so make your Miz, case. Okay. Make the Your Miz case. is a generationally good performer, especially in this company. But in terms of wrestling, there are a few people who are more consistently good at their promo. In, in the ring, I'm not talking about in the ring. Although the Miz has shown in recent years he's actually willing to work a little bit harder, which you'd think it would go the other way. He's actually gone further, and I'd say improved in the ring as well. But on the microphone, he does a great job. I thought, look... The Bray Wyatt stuff, it's always going to be weird. And what I do like is we now have divided the fiend from Bray Wyatt. We are now starting to explain to a certain extent how Bray Wyatt doesn't feel pain. And I think therein is going to lie the weakness. And I also think the writing team understands now how to write the Fiend character, which is that each one of his title defense angles is going to be like a little mini horror movie with different themes. And so if you start looking at this whole Miz angle as the classic horror movie of the mother, the husband, and their young child protecting their young child from the possessing figure, just 
freaking go with it, Hawkins. It's it's actually kind of fun. And, and I think if they pay off the pain threshold stuff, which it seems to me that for, for whatever you want to say about the way they write it week in, week out, someone's paying some degree of attention. Did you notice this week that you still have all the pictures behind Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse? You notice how some horns popped up on Seth Rollins' head? I, uh... I thought that was there beforehand, but you might be right. I mean, I saw the I saw the Daniel Bryan photo, which I thought someone's was- paying attention to the little strokes here. I don't know if that person's necessarily always driving the car, but someone is paying attention to it. So I'm willing to go with it. And I thought that the at the house stuff was cool. It it wasn't a revelation, but it's meant it's not meant to be innovating horror writing. It's meant to be invocating horror writing. And if you go with that, okay, it's actually kind of fun. I liked it. You know what? I'm I'm going to somewhat back off of my thing because you are in a way correct. I am being very nitpicky on this, and I'll, I'll tell you what what got me there because Miz, in terms of his, in terms of this interview, and in terms of the performances here, he was just fine. In fact, he was probably very good uh, in terms of the actual interview. And you know, why do you feel this way about Daniel Bryan? And then bringing that into there, that part, I didn't mind so much. I actually liked Here's, that part. You know, it, yeah, it was it was the horror movie stuff where where people stopped looking at some of the details. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. When, when he runs to Maurice's defense and they're going, run, okay, go, go, go. We got to get to the baby's room, whatever. He makes her go in first. Now... <laughs> Every bit of chivalry in me says that as the man here, you're not making your wife who is in danger go into a room where there might be a demon first. Okay, and then then they find the baby doll, who I believe is eventually going to be Liv Morgan's new character. I believe that's what's going to happen here. But he takes this doll and goes, where did she get this? Where did she get this? And then turns to a child who cannot talk and says, where did you get this? As if the child was going to say, you know what? This guy in a weird sweater came down and handed me this demon doll, father. And that wouldn't at all be creepy. But all the protagonists (laughs) in horror movies, Jeff, you've got to remember, they're operating at an intelligence level that's about 85% of the average human. They can drive a car, they can open doors and close doors, but they can't think critically at all. It's just how they're programmed in horror movies. No, 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 no. That is that is well well noted, well versed. I just it was just one of those things where it was like, I'm I'm probably watching this as continuity cop Jeff Hawkins and just going, okay, why why did he ask a child? But there's there's more here that I really like. So we get to the end of that segment and I go, okay, that was cool, all right, and then. Firefly Funhouse fires up and we get the second part of this. So rather than just writing it as one scene, this was actually like a fairly complicated two to three beat segment written here. And I like the bifurcation of Bray Wyatt and The Fiend. I think it's interesting. I I think, I mean, you know where it's going. You know that it's not truly a split between these two personalities. But I like that we're adding that additional wrinkle onto it and that the fiend is dealing with 
Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt is dealing with The Miz. And you know those two storylines are going to eventually intersect. So I know where we're going. We still have questions about how that's going to play out. We know you got this title match, but the title match is not going to be the end of anything. I think this is a really nicely written chapter. It had far more layers than I am used to from my WWE booking, especially with the bookends of this show, which involved dog food. No, I, I, I will, I will, I will concede the point that I was probably just being too nitpicky when I was watching it because I'm looking at my notes right now and <laughs> I had a lot more positive to say about Miz and it was like okay yeah and I liked that they brought in the continuity and I liked all that. So, no, I think you're probably right. It's probably just me being a little cranky and and jet-lagged. You are correct also that that is far more layers than usually goes into the writing. So I am, you know, I'm pleased that they're allowing them to do something with it. Because that's not Vince. Vince is not a layered fella. No, this is this is the type of layering we've been asking for. I, I, I'm with you. Like, there's always going to be spots in the execution, especially for a show that has to be made relatively quickly. It's always going to be a little, you know, B level at certain parts. But actually, the B movie horror thing that works. I'm okay and I with like this. that they've est- they've established the split too. You are you are dead on on that because we were we were wondering if that was ever going to happen. We were wondering if you know, just one time he comes down in the sweater. And goes, I can't fight you. You're my friend. <laughs> and it appears that he's going to be fighting as Bray Wyatt here at the pay per view, which is going to be different from the Fiend. Like, like they did. We, the, we think. Yeah, you know, we they, think. they did the screen. The screen showed Bray Wyatt in the sweater. There was no Fiend mask at all. So I do think I think we're getting something different here. I I think he might come down to the we're so happy that you're our friends. Like I think we might get a whole Firefly Funhouse style entrance with Bray Wyatt, not the Fiend. That was a wonderful singing voice, Chris. I have a great singing voice, especially <laughs> when you ask me to go into that register. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I'm I'm backing off. I'm backing off. You you win. All right, well, I think we can get back to strong agreement here uh, with the Baron Corbin close out the show segments. Yeah, not no, no bueno. Did not like Uh, let's move. I don't think we're going to do a we're going to do a preview of of the things because I don't think anything's going to matter coming out of TLC other than, you know, I think you might get some good matches here. I think that's interested in the Bray Wyatt stuff. I'm actually looking forward to that. But I do want to say they made Kofi Kingston, whatever goodwill the slap put back into Kofi Kingston was utterly undone by the handcuffing, the threatening to pour the dog food onto the handcuffed Kofi Kingston. Then Roman Reigns comes down, has to save Big E and Kofi Kingston, We'll just leave the optics on that there out in the ether. And then as he's, <laughs> Kofi's doing, a Mary Sue. Is that what you're trying to say? Here, yeah, yeah. He's the damsel in distress tied on the railroad tracks, Jeff. Okay. Yeah. And then when he has the opportunity to free Kofi Kingston the first time, he looks over at it. He's like, no, the hell with that. I'm going to keep beating up on Baron Corbin. So Kofi Kingston is left to ride there in further agony for another couple of minutes while Roman Reigns <laughs> chokeslams Dolph Ziggler through a table and then eventually decides to get around to freeing Kofi Kingston. All and- I could think of, all I could think of was, Ar- was if this was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and he just turned to hang around. And <laughs> hang back. in there, baby. Hang in there, Kofi. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a problematic imagery. Um, oh, yeah, the, the camera angle and the coverage and stuff, it's just the optics of <laughs> Ziggler and Corbin getting ready to dub dog food on Kofi Kingston in handcuffs. Arms up. Yeah, no, this not not good, guys. And, and as we were saying earlier with Sami Zayn to the ham, and what we said back with Jordan Miles, I, I think the underlying problem here is there's no one in these meetings to go, hey, guys, I, I get the mood we're trying to invoke here, and I think there's a way to do this that might avoid this actual legitimate problem that we don't necessarily want to tiptoe into because that's not even the story we're trying to tell. Yeah, <laughs> just... Oh, they had, if, I wonder what would happen if they had actually gotten the dog food on Kofi. Oh, there's a part of me that thought they were. I, I thought they were. Quit, gonna, I, I was like, there. man, if they do the dog food, I was like, two weeks after Jim Cornette and the NWA, if they do the dog food, my God. Yeah. Uh, well, so let's make a quick show announcement here because because TLC is going to be the end of the pay-per-views for the year. Let's next week. Next week, we'll do an Ask Us Anything type thing so you can message probably chris or at the show account and we'll do all that because i don't think a lot of these shows are going to be very important for the next three weeks but we'll still watch them let's do the show account hit at str okay yeah hit hit at shake them ropes yeah and then the week between christmas and new year's will be our superlatives we'll think of you know what what was our favorite match in the wwe or even in any kind of wrestling you know who who do we think really improved? Who do we who do we want to see more from? You know, whatever whatever event. You know, if you have ideas for categories, and they don't have to be serious because God knows there are too many serious categories out there. You know, just uh, hit up the show account as well at Shake Them Ropes. I'll try. I'll, I'll remember to open up the uh, the DMs because sometimes I sometimes Jeff forgets a little bit. Uh, so NXT UK and NXT, I thought were both great this week. So there's no wrong way to start. No, there isn't. I enjoyed both of these a lot. I guess let's let's do NXT because as I said at the top of the show here, I watched NXT and I was energized for more wrestling. And so much of the energy that I was expecting AEW to really be able to tap into, especially with Tony Schiavone on commentary, it's like NXT is picking up a lot of this. You have a very serious women's division, and then you also have these great cruiserweight matches opening up the show every week. So the undercard of NXT US is very reminiscent of that really good first hour of Nitro, and Angel Garza and Leo Rush really solid match and i liked the little beat uh, during the commercial break that they came back to it looks like we're really committing to turning angel garza face which is probably the good call yeah that's uh that's my only problem with it, <laughs> is that they went back and forth so much yes now. no they shouldn't have they shouldn't have gone back and forth so much i think they've ultimately arrived at the right call here and i think yes. the 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 way to get angel over as a babyface is he is 95% of baby face, but there's that one out of 20 times where he does something a little Eddie Guerrero-ish, roguish kind of, oh, that Angel Garza, yeah, he's a good guy, but also he'll, he'll get you. And that also sets the table for if and when you want to turn him heel. Well, they've killed the rogue part of the character, though, with the with the engagement. Thing. I know. Now he's Ricky Steamboat with the engagement. I, I, that's going to be interesting. I I. I'm surprised that they brought that on screen. I'm interested to see how we continue advancing Angel Garza because 
I am with you. I think part of the reason this guy was getting over is the fun gray nature of Angel Garza. Yeah, the the ladies' man, and then and then ladies' man to the ladies, but uh, heel to the dudes. Yeah, that was the way that I, I thought that was gonna go this whole time. No, but the match itself, I feel a little bad for Leo Rush. I do. I agree because I think he is a great champion, and I don't know if they ever really let him be the great champion that he that he could be. And it feels like they're kind of cutting him off a bit. It was a tough time because Angel to get Garza. To the hot hand. Angel Garza, yeah, he's the hot hand, but I also think he's got legitimate upside too. Like this is, if you are looking at this as a raw decision making thing, who has the better long term upside, Garza or Rush? I like Rush. You know I like Rush. I'm a big fan of Leo Rush. Angel Garza is better equipped charismatically but also physically to switch between face and heel he feels more like an upper mid-card guy not maybe not nxt champion but between rush and garza who i think is more likely to one day hold the nxt championship neither but if i had to pick one it's garza he just seems to have a little bit more star potential now that being said uh, the the timing of cutting off leo rush's title run the same week or the week after Mauro Ronaldo has come back after a rather rough bout of mental health episode and hearing Mauro Ronaldo doing that call at the end of the match, that that hurt me a little bit, Jeff. It was a little hard to listen to because I, I felt like it, it, was, it was more than just a call in kayfabe. Well, I, I do think creative needs to take a step back with Leo Rush and really, really hammer what character they want to bring down yes, with him. I agree. Because what happened in this Angel Garza feud, and we went over it every week they went over it. It was like it was like they were switching Angel Garza back and forth, but they were also switching Leo Rush back and forth. And if you're going to come back with Leo Rush as a heel, and I think Leo Rush is a great heel, not just a good heel, a great heel. The, 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 the original Leo Rush character, when they brought him in with the white linen suits the making all the money entrance where he took yes. a thousand years to disrobe for his matches no that was awesome yes that part was great him being you know the rich guy living the penthouse life as opposed to family man leo rush i think works a lot better for him uh yeah i i just think they need to be really careful here because we could have another situation where if they don't take care of leo he's gonna be gone again He's going to, that's just the nature of his personality is he wants to be a star and he's so driven by that that he's not going to He wants to feel like he's got a direction. And I mean, if you are Leo Rush right now, we're on the outside looking in and it feels like the ship is a bit rudderless right now. And that's not his fault. He's done nothing but turning good matches. It's that creative doesn't have this vision for him and you and I have also talked about in the past how sometimes people who are outside of the company get talked back on the bus with big promises of oh this time we've got something for you and he might be realizing that they did and they didn't all at once I I I still think they do I I think I think they do as well I think the problem is going to be if they do something like okay Leo we know we took the title off you don't worry, we'll still have you here on NXT occasionally, but could you do us a solid and go on this 205 Live program that's just 
death. I just don't want them to turn him heel right away because I think if you keep flipping him and, and they were kind of yeah. toggling back and forth, that toggling effect will hurt him during that heel run if they go to it too quickly. So I, It's going to Tony Nese him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and no, he can be a super effective heel. And, and Tony Nese is another great example. This guy's huge. He can do all these athletic things, and he can just constantly be talking about, I've got the better body than you, and I'm more athletic than you, and I'm just better than you. Uh, but the issue with Tony Nese is we went in so many different directions. Was he Drew Gulak's friend? Was he a sympathetic guy who was being taken advantage of? Is he this scrappy babyface champion is he very arrogant and counting his abs which one is it eventually whenever you settle in on whatever one it is it doesn't have the oomph as if you had just made that choice on the first or second time yeah strongly agree. it's gonna be these next few weeks i i like your idea of not turning him heel immediately i want him to kind of stew in the bitterness a little bit I you know, also have want kind of- to keep trying to climb the ladder. I don't want him to turn on Angel Garza quite yet. I want him to even be kind of working alongside Angel Garza and trying to get the wheels going and handle the transition gracefully um, well, and, and have him me, have a hard pitch, time with that. Let me pitch that. something else. Let me pitch something else to you because they do this all the time and maybe I'm just not seeing this. Maybe we took the belt off of Leo to then have Leo go after, say, a Roderick Strong which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either is to have him kind of move up the NXT ladder, so to speak, as opposed to just being sucked into being the cruiserweight guy. Yeah. Another option is you could have, you know, Leo with Keith Lee as a tag team. There's lots of different places you can slot. I Leo want in. that. I want that. So right? Bad okay. Right I'm now. sorry. Keith Lee tossing Leo into a missile drop kick. Give me that. Leo jumping off of Keith Lee's shoulders and doing something crazy. Yeah. Sure. I mean, if you're not going to have, because I thought the, and we'll get into this one again in the main event, I thought the dead on choice was, hey, go with the hot hand, stick with Keith Lee, even though he doesn't have to win the title here. You know, he's the guy right now. If they're not going to do that, I don't necessarily want to see him and Dijakovic as a team. I like them as a team, but they're far too... To me, they should be far more powerful than they're booked. Right, yeah. No, the, the issue with that team is that if you're going to pair those two guys together, they, always have to they have to the win. Smaller yeah. Guys. yeah, they always have to lose the smaller teams, and that's just ridiculous on so many fronts, unless they're going to bring back the AOP for some reason. And, oh, God willing. God willing. Okay, Dijakovic. Keith Lee and Dijakovic. Keep them versus together. Versus the authors yeah, of pain. the authors of pain. Yeah, no, let's oh, do that. Oh, I'm into oh, that. Oh, oh. Oh, hose me. Seth Rollins leading an invasion angle down in NXT with the Authors of Pain wouldn't actually be bad either. Hell yes. But no, I I love the, I just love the image of Keith Lee just like beeling Leo Rush into a group of dudes and just, you know, but yeah, um, great match. One of my favorites of 2019. Really loved it. Really loved the crowd heat on this whole thing. They were buying into it 100%. And they got what they wanted. No, yeah. I, I mean, and so like that kind of opener, tons of time in that opener, but tons of action. That was what always made the WCW Cruiserweight openers get you amped for Nitro, dude. Like Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio, Ultimo Dragon, D. Malenko, uh, you know, Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera and D. Malenko. Chris Jericho gets in there and he's having matches with Dragon and Eddie Guerrero. You have all these just great cruiserweight wrestlers working at a faster pace, and it just gets you amped, man. I no, I, I really love this match. And then we get Lamarca into the, and El Dandy. Come on, hey, who are you to doubt El Dandy? 
<laughs> so then we get to Shayna Baszler and the promo we kind of mentioned earlier of her just by the Mustang talking about herself as a classic car, a classic champion. And man, I, I loved this. I thought this was great. And I liked what they did with Rhea Ripley as well, too, showing us the arc and development of Rhea Ripley. Still worry about her long term as a viable va- baby face champion. I like. I don't know that I'm in love with that slotting of Rhea Ripley. But man, what a good promo from Shayna Baszler. Loved the Shayna Baszler promo. Um, only thing in the back of my mind was, man, this is Amber Nova's gimmick. How dare she? <laughs> but uh, no, I I really loved this. I loved the fact that they're all talking about this stuff. Yeah, I wanted her to work the car a little bit more into the promo, but overall, man, this is this is the kind of promos they should have been doing with Shayna from the get-go. I love this. Then we have Raul Mendoza getting a win, Jeff Hawkins. Hey, I kind of actually saw this coming, which is very counterintuitive to any Raul Mendoza booking, but he defeats Cameron Grimes in this match against Kushida in a, a pairing that I don't know is helping anyone. Maybe Raul Mendoza. Actually, I, I, you have to argue. You have to say that Raul Mendoza beating Cameron Grimes helps the Raul Mendoza can- character. Shake Them Ropes has always had their favorites, ironic or otherwise. Rob McCarron had Tito Sabatelli. We have The Hunt, and we also have Raul Mendoza. I am so happy for him. I kind of liked impish Kushida. I did. I, I know... You know, oh, he's now gone onto an Indiana Jones hat, which I think was your joke. That was my joke. Well, when I, and was, I like yeah, that. he takes Grimes, and he goes from Back to the Future to Indiana Jones. I just don't know what they're doing with Cameron Grimes and all this, which is weird because he's not really allowed to respond to any of these losses. Which you'd think he, you, you could further the story He somehow. should be talking nothing but endless amounts of copious bullshit, just like Jordan yes. Devlin. He should be I was the robbed. NXT US analog to Jordan De- There should be charts and flow charts about how he's been getting screwed over by everyone. Yeah. Yes. He should be the guy knocking on Regal's door every week going, hey, did you see what happened out there? This is unfair to me, even though he's the guy trying to take advantage. He, he needs to be the squirrely heel doing all this. Instead of just, you know, cocksure, whatever the heck they're doing with him, because it's it's he's it's one of those things where the third time this happens, if there hasn't been a character development for Cameron Grimes, no one's going to care because he's just going to be the guy who keeps on coming down, getting beat all the time. He's going to be Joseph. Yeah, there'll be no new car smell. On this yeah. guy, and he had that, but this guy wrestles in black tights with black boots and wears a black hat. He doesn't have a ton of flavor. It's all got to be through that character and that personality. And if we start to think of that character as a schlub, boom, that's it. He's done. Yeah, yeah. And but but uh, man, I love Mendoza and I love Cameron Grimes, and I'm I'm hoping he they and Kushida tear it up at. I think it's probably going to be at Worlds Collide because I don't think they're going to hold off on this. They can't build this throughout. I, I might just be a TV main event too. So, but uh, looking forward to all that. Then Travis Banks and Jackson Riker had huh. a match, so that was exciting. Huh. Travis Banks on NXT TV came off better than he's ever come off on NXT UK. He did. 
Oh yeah, the intro is cool. Him. He's got a good entrance look. Like I love. He's the got a good mask mean thing. face. He's got yeah. a good grr face. You know, yeah. show me your war face. Arr, you no, know, he that, has that, and that that look when he comes out. The theme. It's more of that WWE generic music of this decade, but it works good for him. It's I mean, like once the chugging guitars come in, there's nothing to it. But like it's. Enough when he's coming out, the lighting and everything works for him. He feels like he's got a little bit of star power on NXT US that it's just not there at all in NXT UK. He He's fine. He, he has a lot of ROH Daniel Bryanson in him. Or Brian Danielson. Yeah, man. I could see that. I could see that. Brian, Daniel Bryanson. What are you I, doing, I don't know. Stupid? I kind of like Daniel Bryanson. He's actually uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of the last decade. I can't believe I, I did not stick the landing on that one. Whatever. But yeah, no, I, I mean, look, if they ever sign TK Cooper, I'll be very happy, but it looks like they're not going to go that route with him. You know, have him be the undersized technical technical guy who has a mean... Benoit, we, 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 we've always said he has a little bit of Benoit in him too. Yeah, I love the chops in this match. You know, Jackson Riker's a guy who can get cut down to size. I didn't mind this at all. I, I liked it. Um, Real quickly before we circle back to Dakota Kai and Mia Yim, I'll just mention that Breezango absolutely murdered the Singh brothers in that outside of the ring spot. My God. They, they treated the Singh brothers like Randy Orton treated the Singh brothers. There was no regard for humanity. People were asking me if that was a receipt, and I have no idea, but... uh... I was shocked with how aggressive they were, and I'm not sure if we're turning Brizago heel. Commentary was even going, wow, this is an aggressive side of Brizago. Man, (laughs) that looked rough. I just, you know, I I wonder what they're doing with Brizago here, because we thought they were going to make him born again hardcore from the beginning, but now it looks like they're in, as I put it, permanent grad student mode, where it's just, hey... What's something funny we could do for our entrance this week? Okay, we're going to be doctors this week. So so what occupation can we get? And we can get a couple of attractive women to dance with us. And then we're just going to go do our five to ten minute match and go home and get paid on our main roster contracts. And it'll all be cool. It, which is what made that whole little beat on the outside even more kind of surprising. Like, that was uh, a lot more work and a lot more aggression than you expect out of a middle of the show Brizongo enhancement match on NXT yeah. TV. Yeah, I mean like I said, if they're slip if they're slipping the Singh brothers a couple hundreds every time they murderize them. Yeah, they could have completely agreed with that. I'm fine with that. Like the Sings are like, no, like let's give them something to comment on. Okay, sure, fine. I just I am commenting on it because that was it was jarring to see you know, TV aggression, I'd say, out of five is usually at like a two. This was closer to like a four pay-per-view level of aggression in the middle of a match that had no business being that aggressive. Agreed. Uh, Dakota Kai versus Mia Yim. What'd you think about this? Loved it. Loved the savagery of this whole thing. It was obvious. You know that old phrase, like, if you're two, if you're two friends, you can really lay it in on each other. I know they're pretty good friends. It looked like they wanted to lay it in on each other here. That last spot through the table on the outside. Are you kidding me with that? They, I was scared to death that because of the high angle that Dakota Kai went in on, I thought she had broken her neck. Uh, these two killed each other for our entertainment, and I could not be more happy about it. Yeah, that spot on the table on the outside was uh, jarring. Because, yeah, no, that that just looked... 
Uh, that was that was a rough angle, but no. I like this Dakota Kai. Yeah. I do. I like I like that she she's keeping trof- the trophy with her up until the time that Tegan they reintroduced Tegan Knox. I like '80s glam girl been up all night partying at the club look Dakota Kai. I that's kind of a cool thing. I wish. The, my favorite part of this match was the start because there ain't no lockup here. They just go to fighting. And I was like, yeah, here we go. This is my jam. I want them to toughen up Dakota Kai just a little bit more as opposed to her looking like, as opposed to her looking either crazy or deranged or or almost remorseful. It, it, she kind of yeah, has that same. I, I need her has, to be more unrepentant. She has the Io Shirai sat yes. at time. And I don't want that. No. I want her to be, I am in control of myself. This is what I'm doing for myself type thing. Her and Bailey and Io Shirai all have that problem. It's it's the it's the moroseful heel as opposed to the, the no, I'm 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 happy with the direction I've taken now. Heel. Yes, and that's what yeah, I, want. I want yeah, self-satisfied and also looking at everyone as though they're an obstacle in their way. Where it's a little exactly. bit it's a little bit overcompensatory because like for example, Shayna Baszler, she's confident. She's a heel, but she's confident. She's not trying to compensate for anything at this point. She hasn't just done something that's like a fresh emotional wound. Um I don't need to see the sad eyes. I need to see I'm just going to push through this moment and like I now that I've done an evil thing I'm just going to commit all in on this evil path. Yeah, I could even see one of them going cocky, which would be even better. Yeah. You know, if, if Dakota Kai came out cocky about the whole thing, that would have been a much better choice I think because that that's the thing with all these baby faces they've turned heel. None of them are proud of themselves. You know, n- none of them have that MJF type quality to them, for lack of a better term, or Miz, or any person that you yeah, have. Yeah, it's got to be self satisfaction. Yeah, you don't, you don't get the sense that EO looks in the mirror and goes, "EO has voices you. talking to her right now." Right. That that that's you know, and and, stra- and she she's trying to do the Japanese horror character type of thing, and I get that, and I dig that about her, but either Bailey. Someone or, needs to be carrying, like, there's a place for that type of character, but someone needs to be carrying this other type of character archetype. I think Yeah, that's one of I'm those saying. two need, need, needs to switch it up, and, I, you know, I, I think Dakota Kai would probably be the stronger of the two playing cocky, because I just don't see Bailey having that in her. So I, th- my choice would be have Dakota be proud of herself and look at this thing, and, oh, I've decorated this, this knee brace, and I call it, you know... The, I call it Bracy. It's my friend. Yeah, or you know, Destiny. It's the first time she's really taken her destiny in her hands. It's something like that. I don't know. Or you know, you know, just bill herself as Tegan Knox. I think that, that would actually be funny. Like, yeah, yeah. Do the whole single white call, female she thing. She calls the knee brace Tegan. That would be fun. Yeah, the the single white female thing very underrated. I think, especially because they were dressed up like each other almost. Yeah, you know, I'm now Tegan. I'm the shiniest wizard. Me, me, me. Yeah. One of those things as opposed to sad eyes, voices talking in your head, crazy person, Dakota Kai. But no, the the post-match beatdown I thought was great. Um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm not I'm not the biggest Mia Yim fan in the world, but I, I think she can brawl. Oh yeah, no, she can brawl. she brawls, she bumps hard. I, I don't to your point, the if it's just gotta stay in between the four ropes sort of thing, like if Mia Yim had to have a match exclusively in between the four walls, it's not gonna be Amazing. That's where I'm at. But that is wherever at, she takes yeah. it outside, she's always got her working boots on and she takes big bumps and like no, I, I actually like 
the Mia Yim all around the arena match, I think, is a very good match. Yeah, that's where the HBIC character works in her favor. Absolutely. As opposed, because when she came out at this, I was really down on it. Because I didn't like, because I liked, I liked likable Mia Yim. I thought that was a great character and stuff. But yeah, when she gets into brawl mode, that's where the HBIC character helps. Bianca Belair has a match against Caden Carter that, at least to me, based on what commentary was saying, was designed as much to help out Caden Carter as it was to help out Bianca Belair. But I don't think it necessarily did a good job with that. They tried to do the (laughs) impressive in the loss with Caden Carter, but I think she needed to get (laughs) some offense, meaningful top rope offense on Bianca Belair, and Bianca needed to sell a lot more than she did during this match. That's going to be a no for me, Chris. That that was, there was no noble in defeat on this one exactly because she did. This is not the person you get damage in against unless it's going to be, you know, unless they were going to do the fluke win, which I don't think is the time for. No, 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 this, no. This. Yeah, no, this just felt like. I think the what should have happened, if you're going to do Caden, one, we've talked about Caden Carter before. If you're going to do Caden Carter versus Bianca Belair, I think this is a good opportunity for her to get a count-out win over Bianca Belair. If you want to show I'm her... I'm sorry, can we, not, can we not beat Vanessa Bourne or Tainara Conti? Sure. no. I, or I, any yeah, other? Like, yeah, like, like <laughs> what, there's a whole bunch of questions here. Caden Carter needs to be beating people like that, or Bianca Belair needs to be beating people like that. These two people don't actually need to be intersecting at this point because Bianca Belair seems to me to be the appropriate type of hill for someone like Caden Carter to be trying to climb at this point in her career. Here's the build. Week one, Caden Carter beats local enhancement talent that's just rented for the night. Here's her finisher. Here's her Here's her doing all her spectacular moves. Look how spectacular Caden Carter is. She's going to be a real star in the future. Week two, someone of the Vanessa Bourne tier, where she's a name where you know she has some ability, but she can lose. You know, Aaliyah is in this position. Um you know, other people that are probably in the back that they haven't introduced. You could always put them there here. What's too. the Luchadora up to? <laughs> exactly. You know, she wins here. We're going to have to wait and see, but I think we're ready now that Caden Carter can now take on a name opponent on the upper tier. And she might be looking at a title shot if she can get past that. Okay, great. Week three, Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair comes out. They have a match. Bianca starts strong, starts beating her up. You're nothing. Kane Carter gets... Second wind, fighting spirit, whatever you want to call it, gets a few close near falls before eventually Bianca Belair beats her with her finisher. Boom. Okay. And then the next week you rebuild her by having her beat somebody else on the on the Vanessa Bourne layer level. That's all you had to do here. And instead they bring her out here. She does nothing against Bianca Belair. And Bianca Belair... You You have no idea how close Caden Carter was to beating Bianca Belair because you have no sense of what her move set is. No, exactly. Yeah. So it's just, this is a classic WWE sustaining mistake that, that, I mean, if you're introducing any promotion, if you're introducing a new wrestler, show me in their highlight package, their setup move and their finishing move and have them at some point explain what their finishing move is. Maybe even why they do it. My finishing move is the angel's wings. My finishing move is the one winged angel, whatever it is. You just, you get it out there. So we know the name, we know what we're looking for. And it's, 
important when you're trying to gauge how far along we are or how close we are to the finish line of a match. I have no idea what Caden Carter's offense is or her signature spots are. And I also want to know why you're in professional wrestling, especially if you're a heel. If you're a heel, I want to hear it's either money, uh, women, or power. Glory. Or something to that, or glory. If you're a baby face, I just want to be the best. I want to be the champion. I want to show the people of my hometown what I can really do because nobody's ever had any faith in me or whatever you it's want to do. It's the only thing that. I've ever known. It's the it's only the thing only... I've ever been good at in my whole life. You know, you know whatever I, it is. I, 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 I tiptoe around that a little bit because, man, they go to that way too often. They go to the dream thing way too often. Well, I'm not even saying dream. I'm saying, like, it's more than dream. It's at some point in your life you start taking an honest assessment of what you are and are not good at. And this person has realized one of the few things they're actually good at in life is wrestling. And so it's their dream, but it's kind of like what they've now realized they've been born to do because it's what they're good at. I, like no, I, I think that there's there are valorous ways to get that stuff over as well. Let's get to the main event here. Finn Balor defeats Keith Lee and Tommaso Ciampa in a match that I liked, but boy was I surprised when Finn Balor won. Absolutely gobsmacked. Absolutely gobsmacked at this. I think this was a choice out of fear. I, I do in some ways. It's a Finn Balor's the known commodity, and we really need to hit this one out of the park you know, for that quote unquote first takeover of the USA era, so to speak. This is the first one of the USA era, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's not. No, no, it's no, not. It's not. It's not. It this is okay. very much playing it safe. It almost makes you wonder if this is a prelude to Balor kind of leading the NXT UK. Because maybe we're saying the tables here for Worlds Collide and Balor's ultimately going to find alignment in the UK promotion. I, I could see that. I, I could see them needing it for the world's collide thing on uh, for the rumble and then maybe have <laughs> either Devlin or Walter facing Balor in some way. Um, that'd be an interesting rematch to me. I think, I think Devlin's a more interesting choice to me over Walter, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was even thinking about Balor maybe being aligned factionally with Imperium and stuff when we get to the world's collide stuff. But yeah, this is, this is interesting. I, I think it was a weak choice, though, and Keith Lee would have been a beneficiary of winning this match because, like, we know that he's not going to win the title here, and we've discussed that we don't think he should. But I think it just makes more sense to start building up Keith Lee. The guy is a champion type of guy. Well, also pinning Keith Lee because you don't want to pin Ciampa here because you want to keep him strong is just one of those weird backward no i I see what they're doing now you've got champa and balor as the two former holders of the crown and didn't did balor lost it like cleanly right he didn't relinquish the title did he no he lost he lost lost to uh yeah Okay, but but Ciampa did. So you have the two former champions. You need to keep that angle going, and Keith Lee is the odd man out in that angle. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't was not crazy about that. I actually think that you probably could have advanced the former champions feud storyline by having Balor get his first pin over Tommaso Ciampa here in this match. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I just, I'm, I'm trying to logically figure out a way for Balor here to be the guy when, I mean, 
you could have put him on the shelf and put him in a tier two feud with like a Gargano until you wanted him here. I just, it's, it's just one of those weird. No, I, I don't love it here. Let's speed through NXT a little bit here. Or NXT UK. Cause I have to go yeah. here in a minute, but I do want to hit this. That's okay. So Kaylee Ray has a quick match against Isla Dawn. Do you have anything to say about that? Kaylee Ray is awesome. I, yeah. I, she is possibly the person that I've turned on the most in terms of positive thinking. I absolutely love her. I do. Especially after I watched, I watched the intro of the uh, first May Young Classic and JR accidentally buried her. She said she's the leader of the, and I forget the quote, but it's like, whatever the hell that means. And I was like, dude, you just buried her out of the gate. Love me some Kaylee Ray. Jordan Devlin had another great TED talk. I, I love Jordan Devlin. I love how he's burying Tyler Bate. I the, my favorite part of this is every time Tyler Bate's about to have a womp womp moment, his theme is playing, and then it fades out with a little bit of a trailing echo that is just like the air su- getting sucked out of a balloon. And I, I, I man, I, I they've. They've found really, really good characterization with Jordan Devlin. And yeah, I don't have anything else to say other than I enjoy the hell out of these Jordan Devlin promos. He's possibly my favorite overall character on NXT UK, right? I think that's fair. I liked Joe Coffey getting interviewed on the street here. He wants to be champion. I like that he wants to be champion for the wrong reasons, though. And as such, it makes sense. It'll make sense when he comes up short because he's so hell-bent on the revenge component of this that it's not really about winning the title right now. He's bad at being a babyface. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't so we want don't it know, for the right we reasons. There, we, don't know if, yeah, we don't know if he's learning to be a babyface or if he's just going to go back to the norm once this Walter feud is over and just kill Ilya Dragunov. I, I like this. I do as well. Trent Seven doesn't have a match against Michael May because he gets interrupted by Eddie Dennis. And one of the things that I'm kind of noting is we're, we're doing this at a little bit quicker of a pace. What I think is really effective in what made this NXT UK show so good is there's a lot of action. Nothing was rushed, but nothing overstayed its welcome either. Everything was kind of to the point there long enough so that you didn't go like, oh, what was that? I didn't remember that. I don't even remember that. No, you remember everything. But... This was very quick. Trent Seven doesn't have a match against Michael May. We know that he's building up to a match against Eddie Dennis. Yeah, no, I, and I think the I think leaving Dennis out and just having him be an outside force, I think I don't think he should have a match until they decide to have the match. Yeah, I, I agree. I, just, I, I don't want I don't want to see him in the ring. I don't want to see him doing squash matches necessarily. I just want to see him being the guy that's ticking off Trent Seven week after week. Yeah, Seven has to demand the match out of Eddie Dennis, and then, you know, how you want to play from there. I would personally have Eddie Dennis beat Trent Seven, I, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what he looks like when he gets relaunched, too. Hopefully he's not in gym shorts. Rich Holland, this is interesting. I feel like the first week we debuted him as a heel, and he was kind of working as the big bully, but commentary notes have now started framing the truncheon as an homage to his father, who was a police officer who never used the truncheon, but just thought that carrying the truncheon was a sign of, you know, intimidation, and, and like, it feels as though we are booking Rich Holland so very strong. I mean, he massacres Jack Stars, and this was a very, very good, stiff, brutal enhancement match, and the type of match you need for Rich Hollands, but... I think at one point the the plan was he's going to be kind of our mid-card heel. Now I am starting to get the vibe that Ridge is being built up for a title match. I do too, and I'm 
uncertain of it because uh, number one, Jack Stars is the Singh brothers of NXT. Oh UK. boy, this I guy love dies Jack for our Star. sins. <laughs> dies for our entertainment dollar, and I love him, love him, love him. Uh, yeah, I was getting that note too. I thought at first it's a feint. I think it's because he's going to have to use that trunching eventually, right? Yeah, because but if he there. uses it to even up the odds against Imperium, that would kind of make him look like a little bit of a badass. I think you have this four-on-one thing. Rich Holland is this big, tough guy. I mean, they're just they're leaning so hard into the England thing. His hometown is so over. I mean, I just... I think that the truncheon is going to be used as the equalizer rather than the advantage. Yes, they. Have, but they. But to your point, they've angel garzed him a bit. They've decided to turn him babyface the next week because the tip of the cap thing. Absolutely, because because yeah. the looking back the first week, it was as though he was going to look back to murder the guy, and, and we were yeah. building up to one of these weeks. One of these enhancement guys is going to just land a little bit too much offense, and they're going to have to pay dearly for that with Rich Holland's beating the hell out of them. Now it's Rich Holland wins, but he also respects someone who puts up a good fight and fights hard. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be that guy who eventually protects a smaller guy or whatever. You know, they're going to have a mutual respect with somebody. Guess it's Dragonoff. But um, you know, he may save him from Gallus. That might be it. That might be it. Yeah, actually, you know, maybe yeah, Rich Holland and Dragonoff would be an interesting little mini feud for Gallus to spin off on. That that yeah, but the I- truncheon being used against Gallus might make some sense too. Maybe we're on the right track here. But I like this repackaging a lot of Luke Menzies. I think this was a positive. I do too. I it's it's strong. The character's clearly over. The clear, like clearly clearly over. Go with it. Go with it. Absolutely. Then we get to our title match of Gallus versus Imperium. Okay, I love Babyface Wolfgang. Babyface Wolfgang or wasn't that great? Oh, he's that so was awesome. just like the UK tournament. This is what they wanted in that one UK tournament where, where before Wolfgang turned heel to join Gallus. This was Wolfgang to a T. No, him coming in as a house of fire was amazeballs. I loved it. He's so I just I love him. I love him as the the hothead. It it, it also I they put that over on commentary this week too. That was great where they said Joe Coffey sometimes has to restrain Wolfgang because he's the over emotional one. I'm like, finally they said what we were all thinking. Yeah, no, I I absolutely adored every part of this. I don't love that it finished in a non finish, but we knew we were getting to this this four way match here. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of them having more than one tag title on a ladder match in two months yeah. because they're doing this on TLC. And, that you know, it's just like, God, it just seems like an excuse to try and get uh, get Andrews and uh, and Webster out there to do a lot of high flying things and then to die by being put through a ladder which always makes me a little scared for the smaller guys. Last note from this show here. It looks like we are turning Kenny Williams and we're going to use Amir Jordan <laughs> as the device. No, I like this. I mean, And then you stack up all the different beats in this show. In a nice one-hour program, we had a lot of good backstage storytelling. We had effective usage of enhancement matches, a quality main yeah. event with good wrestling in it. And yeah, like you know, Kenny Williams and Amir Jordan, I don't give that much of a care about them. I had completely forgotten about this story. I like that's that. That's the weird thing. And it's like, okay, oh, who is that's Amir Jordan? And that I didn't almost recognize Kenny Williams because he hadn't been on in a few weeks. I'm just like, all right, I would have maybe liked a primer, but uh, I liked that this is an uneasy alliance again. 
It's no, just Kenny has a... grown out of the... He, Amir Jordan is your friend who yes. still wants yes. to talk about dinosaurs and dinosaurs are still cool to him. And you're now going into freshman year of high school. Or he's the, or he's the college friend who comes back and he wants to talk about, hey, you remember when we used to do this and you used to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can't connect with you because you have a family and he doesn't. And this is all he has right now is memories. Yeah, that's him. He's that guy. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. I'll open up the DMs for the Ask Us Anything type thing. Chris, you do other podcasts. You can plug them now. Yes. Don't Worry.TV is my other show. You can find that at Don't Worry.TV. My show is called Don't Worry About the Government. It's not called Don't Worry.TV. But if you want to call it Don't Worry.TV, all I'm asking is that you go to the website don't worry.tv and then go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Don't Worry About the Government after you go to Don't Worry.tv errantly looking for a show called Don't Worry.tv. I'm at Chris Dovenbrino. I'm the master of all plugs and you can also find my other podcast, The All in the Family Podcast at allinthefamilypodcast.com. Keep on rocking in the free world. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.